Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. You're in for quite a day, folks. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What's up, the generation? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the college football bowl betting preview part four. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We have bowls through New Year's, well, it's not New Year's Day, January 2nd, and we're going to cover the college football playoff semifinals. Now, if that doesn't whet your appetite, you're watching the wrong channel. It's been so long since we've seen some of these teams. I'm excited to talk about it. Colin, how's uh, bowl season going so far? And you ready to? Uh, I think we're going to disagree on at least at least TCU Michigan, which I'm excited about. How's it yeah. going? Yeah, yeah, we got a few disagreements coming here, but no, bowl season's been great. Uh, I think I've emotionally overcome from the UTSA uh, referee show that got Troy to the window, and uh, you know Boise not covering the opener of five and a half or covering any number period. Uh, really, the only two losses that stick out to me. Um, was pretty happy to get New Mexico State under to the window. That was a little bit of a sweat with Bowling Green coming out hot there at the end. But, uh, you know, bowl season's been good. Same here. Hopefully I can keep it going. We have so much action left that we all can keep going to the window right until the national championship. And by the way, we will have a episode late next week for the national championship. We will award our Haiti Smith Caller of the Year for calling into the voicemails. Appreciate everyone who did that all year. And then we will also award our fifth annual Gambling Heisman Trophy Award. So excited about that. We will cover nine bowls in total, including the college football playoff semifinals today. We will get to those two games at the end. We're going to start things off with on Friday night. If you missed part three and you're listening to this, and there's still a couple of games on Friday to go. All the rest of the games besides the Orange Bowl are covered on the Bowl Betting Preview Part 3, so make sure you check that out. But let's kick things off here on Friday night with the Orange Bowl between Tennessee and Clemson. Clemson's a four-and-a-half-point favorite here, over under 63-and-a-half. The Orange Bowl. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Keith Jackson. I'll be calling the play in today's ball game. We have an afternoon of what college football is all about. It's the kind of a week that you could really get yourself a set of white knuckles if you were a partisan to either one of these teams because the fever, if you will, is so fervent it's almost impossible to measure. As I mentioned, this game's Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN in Miami Gardens, Florida. How much orange can you have for the Orange Bowl? Tennessee and Clemson. Talk about branding. But this game is not, I mean, what, these two teams were in the top five, I think, what, after week nine? And these teams are going to look drastically different than they did at that point in time because we have two different starting quarterbacks now. Cade Klubnick will make his first career collegiate start in the postseason, taking on Joe Milton. There's So there's no Hendon Hooker for Tennessee. Jalen Hylett, the Blitnikoff award winner, star wide receiver, he's out. Cedric Tillman, the other star receiver for Tennessee, is out. Their linebacker, Banks, is also out. On Clemson's side, DJU transferred to Oregon State, so he's obviously out. Miles Murphy is probably a first-round draft pick on their defensive line. He's out, as well as linebacker Trenton Simpson. Could have a couple other opt-outs leading up to the game, but as of now, that's what we know. 
It's also worth mentioning that Josh Heupel lost his offensive coordinator. Alex Golish to South Florida, uh, where he'll be the new head coach. So the, the question here is, and look, Dabo Sweeney, you have to give him credit for, he's been really good in bowls against the spread. I think he's 12 and six against the spread. He takes them serious. And I mean, look, I'm going to start this podcast off in a good mood. and I'm not going to piss off Clemson fans. So I won't even talk about the comments that he made about name and image and likeness. And uh, maybe God's a Clemson fan. Maybe God actually chooses football teams. You know, honestly, for me, we built this program on NIL. We really did. It's probably different than what you're thinking, though. We, we built this program in God's name, image, and likeness. And that's how I look at it. You know, we've been dealing with his name, image, and likeness for a long time. But when I look at this game, it's very hard to handicap because it's, okay, Tennessee's run defense was pretty good all year. So can Clay, Cade Klubnick and this Clemson passing offense, which was very inconsistent and underwhelming, take advantage of Tennessee's secondary? Because if you do look at Kate Klubuk, he was great in, you know, he came in for DJU in the ACC championship, but that was North Carolina's defense. Now, maybe you could argue Tennessee's defense, as far as the secondary is concerned, is on the same level. And on the other side, it's like, what can you expect from Joe Milton? And now a very depleted, like you have Brew McCoy and it's, you know, you're going to have to rely on a couple of really inexperienced guys. Could you lose Hyatt and Tillman? That's a lot of production and a lot of talent on the outside. My first thought, I was thinking of maybe under here, but like, I mean, Tennessee unders in a bowl game, you know, they're going to want to go as fast as possible. This one's pretty difficult for me to get a handle on. What do you see here? Listen, the Cade Klubnick 2023 Heisman campaign is going to get started. He went 19 of 23 against UNC. Two of those are being dropped by the targets themselves. He went six of eight in play action passing with a touchdown. I think that's going to be a similar format to what we see here. He had two scrambles, two designed runs. I'm not really sure why DJ Uyunglele was the starter for so long this season. Clemson fans have been asking for it since midseason. I, I'm not really sure what took Dabo. That's because so of you. You were the one pushing the bus, the DJU I, podcast. You, you kept re- it going. I renamed us the Cade Klubnik podcast midstream too. Uh, there's no losses from the wide receivers that had targets in the ACC championship game. Kobe Pace, the backup, well, not backup running bad, but the two-headed monster there with Will Shipley. He only had three carries. He's now in the portal. Not really a, a big hurt there, but, you know, does the offense improve? The rushing was already one of the best in the nation, like I said, with Will Shipley. Uh, he had a TD in all but two games this season. So if you can find a prop out there about Will Shipley hitting a touchdown, it's probably uh, worth some money, especially if it's under minus 120 or minus 130. And although Tennessee was terrible in a pass rush at 105th, uh, Byron Young at the, at the edge, you know, he's going to play in this game before he goes to the draft. He had 36 pressures, seven sacks. Um, you know, I think what's interesting to me about Byron Young's numbers about, can he be a factor here against the Clemson offensive line? He only had three pressures in his final four games. And that includes zero pressures when he took on the Georgia offensive line. So he kind of disappeared when it, when it turned into big time games for, for, uh, Tennessee. I think the big question here is defensive coordinator, Tim Banks for Tennessee. He calls a lot of soft zone coverages. Uh, and, and, you know, opponents have had a, a lot of scoring opportunities here, especially against the secondary. Tennessee was 29th in, defen- in defensive finishing drives, but it's going to be a true test for the Tennessee defense against Clemson and offensive coordinator Brandon Streeter, who finished second in red zone efficiency and fourth in red zone TD percentage. How much of that was DJ, though, carrying the ball? Uh, we'll see. But, I mean, Clemson has been elite in the red zone offensively. And then you mentioned Joe Milton. It's, you know, the score against Vanderbilt may make you think that Joe Milton had a great game. He yeah, did. His numbers are pretty underwhelming. 
Yeah, he went 11 of 21. He went one of nine on passing over 20 yards. Not good. He completed three of 10 on blitz downs by Vandy. So you can expect a lot of blitz coming in from West Goodwin, the defensive coordinator. And now you don't have Hyatt and Tillman out there. Don't have Hyatt and Tillman. And I think Georgia really exposed what this Tennessee offense is and how you defend Josh Heupel, which is you have to jam at the line of scrimmage to get the timing off. Joe Milton can't even hit the timing, and his accuracy is is not as good as Hendon Hooker. So to me, it it it's it just spells doom for Tennessee all over. Uh, a reason why I would want to take Clemson with the market is now sitting at minus five and a half. And, and, you know, there are key players. There. There's a lot of people that are out for Clemson, but there are some of the key players like Nate Wiggins is there at corner. He had nine uh, uh, forced incompletions on the season. KJ Henry, Tyler Davis, Brian Barisi are all expected to play in this on the defensive line. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned that who's left for Tennessee to catch the ball, Ramel Keaton and Brew McCoy are there wide out, but they're not explosive when you look at yards per route run at all. They are not Jalen Hyatt in the slot, which is a monster gap that this offense just can't fill. So, um, you know, I do project Clemson at minus three. If everybody was playing in this game, considering they're not for Tennessee, I'm, you know, I expect the number for Clemson to be higher. But I, for me, it's all Clemson here. Yeah, I don't really like Tennessee, so that should tell you all you need to know because I've been lower on Clemson in the market all year. Uh, and I would lean under too. I just don't think Tennessee's going to have that much success. And I think to, you know Clem- Clemson's going to want to run the ball to set up the pass. And Tennessee's run D has been good, so I think the total is a tad high. But um, yeah, you make a good case for Clemson. And Dabo, like I said, has been really good in bowls. These guys for Tennessee opting out probably isn't a great sign for their motivation. You got to remember that, like Clemson. And I thought last year against Iowa State that the Clemson wasn't going to be motivated, and Dabo had them ready for that. Tennessee was so close to the college football playoff multiple times, right? Like, they controlled their own destiny, lost to Georgia. Everything broke their way, and all they had to do was basically win out, and they get blown up by South Carolina. So I know it's the Orange Bowl. I know that it's Clemson, but there's got to be – I think Tennessee is more disappointed in how things broke than – Clemson and Clemson might be rejuvenated with Klubnik getting his first start here. Whereas there's obviously a big drop off from hooker to Milton. All right, let's move on to Saturday, new year's Eve. I can't wait for this day. It's uh, kick things off. Just an amazing day. We'll kick things off noon Eastern on ESPN with the all state sugar bowl between Kansas state and Alabama. Alabama is a six and a half point favorite over under 56 the Sugar Bowl. There have been some compromises throughout the country so people could watch it. There's no law against scalping tickets, and premium prices have been paid. This game is in New Orleans, Louisiana. Breaking news here is Alabama apparently has no opt-outs. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Gibbs, they're, you know, a lot of their projected first-round draft picks, first or second-round draft picks on the defensive side, you know, talking battle and young and Malcolm Moore. Apparently they're all playing. There's a couple guys in the transfer portal, mainly at wide receiver. And they lost a starting offensive lineman, but it looks like everyone is a go battle branch more on the defensive side. Everyone on the offensive end is a go for Alabama and same thing with Kansas state. So I played this completely wrong. I took Kansas state plus four and a half. And I assume that, I don't, why would Bryce Young play this game? He's going to be, a, you know, maybe the number one overall pick. Um, why would Will Anderson play? But I don't know. Apparently, everyone in Alabama is going to play, so I'm stuck. So I have to, you know, I have a bad number, and I can't buy out of it. Um, so I'm stuck with Kansas State. 
if you follow me, let's go uh, emo. But uh, I'm stuck here. So anyone that's looking at this game now with the current line, current projected total, and you're basically assuming like everyone is a go on both sides outside of some, you know, wide uh, Treshawn Holden, uh, JoJo Earl, you know, a couple of the wide receiver contributors, and then one starting offensive lineman for Alabama. If everyone's a full go here, what's the play in the Sugar Bowl? Yeah, the play here is the over. And the reason is because the two biggest factors in this game are going to be Jameer Gibbs and Deuce Vaughn. So the question is, is which defense is going to have the ability to take care of these, uh, you know, these huge threats that can run the ball. Uh, they can take dump off in the flats. They can hit crossers and Jameer Gibbs and Deuce Vaughn. This is their show right away. So when you look at, you know, who's better at defending the rush, Alabama finished 52nd in defensive rushing success rate. Kansas State finished 46th in the same metric on defense. So neither of them really wins that. You look at stuff rate, Alabama a bit better, but I don't really see these two backs going in between the tackles. That's not going to be the game plan for them. Uh, and then when you look at the other metrics, it's just kind of leaky on defense. Like Kansas State is 105th in defensive line yards. That tells me Jameer Gibbs is going to be able to run the ball any down and distance. He's going to be able to get there. Uh, you know, when you look at Alabama, they're outside the top 50 in the same thing. So all things being said, there are advantages here for both offenses and finishing drives are both going to put up points when they get past the 40. Each defense has worse metrics on the defensive side than they do. Uh, on the offensive side and Alabama, you know, they really trump Kansas state in the strength of schedule, strength of record. So if you had to take a side, I would be all in on Alabama here. It's a game that I would project at seven, but more importantly, I think the total should be a touchdown higher. Uh, I would love to get the key of 55. There's a lot of 56s out there on the board. So if forced to play the over 56, I would, if you can find a 55 and a half, buy it down to key, I would, but th there's just too many advantages for both Jameer Gibbs and Deuce Vaughn and these advanced analytics. And I don't see a lot of, containment of those two exclusive backs so over all the way for me yeah and i know how everyone knows i was going to play but is the prep you know like they're how about supposed to be a college football playoff usually like is the are they are they going to take the prep as serious and is the motivation all there now they're all playing so you would think yes but do you think that can you expect everyone out about to play the whole game like is it going to be like because probably going to be potentially number one pick yeah. is it going to be could potentially he be rotating possessions? Um, like, what do you think there? Is there, well, you, can you? It's tough. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with Alabama is, is there's never been any consistency with the wide receivers the entire season. They're just not going to flip a switch and have that start. You know, Treshawn Holden's out, uh, Christian Larry, JoJo Earl, but then there are other players where it, the connection just has not been there whatsoever. So even if he is in the game and he is throwing deep, does it matter? Because that is a great place to attack Kansas State. But Alabama has not shown enough consistency to get that done. Uh, it's really going to be <laughs> what it's been all year, which is Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, just being untouchable when he's full strength, which he is. Uh, I think the other interesting thing is on the other side of the ball, Adrian Martinez should be completely uh, amped up to play in this game. He needs some, you know, good goodbye film before he tries to play in the NFL or play in another league or whatever his future is going to hold. But this could be it for Adrian Martinez. So, um, you know, there's definitely some more motivation on the Kansas State side. I just don't see Alabama's passing game turning on the light switch and figuring it out here because they have not figured it out all season. Yeah, it should be a big Gibbs game because can you really see Bryce Young running a lot in this game, risking like he's not going to run at all, right? So he's going to be checking it down to Gibbs a ton. Gibbs is going to be doing most of the running. Um, I can't see Bryce Young like, diving into defenders to pick up a first down on a scramble, right? 
Well, yeah, and considering how poor Kansas State is in the line yards outside the top 100, don't you think we'd see Jalen Milrow in there running zone read with, with Jameer Gibbs? It just that makes more sense in this game. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a game that might not have as many fireworks in the Music City Bowl between Kentucky and Iowa. Iowa's a two and a half point favorite here, over under 31. It could be the lowest total in college football history, I believe. And it's in a bowl game. Amazing. The Music City Bowl. And do we expect anything today other than a close, tough, knock them down, belly up football game? Uh, this game's in Nashville, Tennessee, Saturday. December 31st, New Year's Eve, noon Eastern, ABC. Be going on at the same time as Kansas State, Alabama. Nice little appetizers before the college football playoff. UK opt-outs, quarterback Will Levis, running back Chris Rodriguez, cornerback Carrington Valentine. Anyone I ever mentioned as an opt-out, only meaningful players for what it's worth, so they'll all be starters. Um, Destin Wade is expected to get a first career start for Kentucky at quarterback, and then they're going to have a fourth string running back in there. Kentucky also fired their offensive coordinator. I, I still don't know who's going to call plays on the Iowa side. You know, safety Kayvon Merriweather opted out. They also had a couple of receivers in the transfer portal, and both of their starting quarterbacks are out. So you will have third string quarterback. Joey Labas or Labas, I don't even know how to pronounce it, make his first collegiate start. Tight end Sam Laporta, one of the best in the country. Looks like he is expected to play. I took Iowa here on the money line. I would take them again on the money line. I And look, in a game with a total of 31, and in bowl games where, you know, if the team scores a touchdown at the end, you, you're probably not going to play for overtime. You might go for two. I, I would look for a cheap money line here, especially with this total. Every point means, like, this game could end – this game could end – Eight seven, and it wouldn't surprise me. But I think that Iowa, and look, their third string quarterback, it might be an upgrade over the quarterback play they got this year. They got no quarterback play. And this guy, and this kid, you know, apparently was he can move a little bit. He was impressive in the spring game at times. Like it, maybe it's an upgrade. Whereas I guess with Kentucky, I think it's a clear downgrade. Their offensive line was poor all year. They don't have, you know, who's calling plays? They don't have Chris Rodriguez. Um, you also they lost uh, their other backup um, smoke in the transfer portal. So you're down to a four string running back because your third string was also got hurt. So and I just think that I was used to winning these types of games and they're used to winning with their defense. And I just find it hard to see how Kentucky can move the ball. And I see Iowa forcing a couple turnovers, make a couple plays on special teams. And that'll be the difference. I can't play an under 31 in a bowl game, but this one should be ugly. It's Iowa money line for me. I think they find a way. The quarterback drop-off is much more important for Kentucky because their offensive line has been bad all year. Uh, so give me the Hawkeyes here. In a rematch, this is a rematch of last year's bowl game. What do you see here? Well, I was staring at the board with a key number of 31. I'm seeing one book I shop at at 30 and a half, another one at 31 and a half. So uh, I think I should stop talking and go lay on both sides and just see if it lands 31. But yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, if there were full participation in the rosters, I would make this total 36. So when you miss some of the players that they're talking about, I can see why there's the dip in this number. But consider these rosters last year, right? I mean, we just have this sample. Most of the same players played in the Citrus Bowl last year. Wandell Robinson, Chris Rodriguez, Sam LaPorter, Spencer Petras, Will Levis. They all played last year. The final score was 37 points. You take away all those names I just mentioned, with the exception of maybe LaPorta, who's going to try to play. 
I mean, I can understand why this is 31. I can even make a case it should be lower without those names because they did not replace any of them with anything that's quality. Yeah, um, and Kentucky's offensive line got significantly worse. Yes. Laporta has been practicing for four weeks off of surgery now. Uh, you know, his draft profile has all the highlights that he needs, but he's still going to play here. And, you know, quarterback Joey Labas is going to get the start for Iowa. He was the scout team quarterback. Uh, he says that he has a lot of familiarity with some of the pieces in practice because it's some of the scout team players too. Iowa finished 130th in pass blocking. Like, I mean, Kentucky's just going to be able to roll through that offensive line and get some pressure on this scout team quarterback. And Destin Wade's going to get the start for Kentucky. Uh, Deuce Hogan and, and Kaya Sharon, they're also going to get to see the field. But this job belongs to Devin Leary next season. So it's kind of a throwaway game here from the quarterback position. But Wade was recruited as an athlete. I got some dual threat capability here. Baylor, Arizona State, Cincy, they all had offers out for this kid. So we'll see what he can do. Uh, if he's got legs and he can get outside the tackles, that's a plus for Kentucky. The Iowa losses in the secondary are Kavion Merriweather and Cooper DeGene, both combined for seven interceptions this season. But does that matter with Destin Wade? Like, is he going to be chucking it downfield for Kentucky? Maybe not, because it's a ground-based attack. And Iowa is the far superior defense when it comes to coverage, pass rush, line yards, and havoc. I mean, there's a huge gap with havoc in these teams, and it all belongs to Iowa. So for that reason, and special teams. And special teams, too. Iowa's fourth, Kentucky 73rd. So there's just so many things in the intangibles that, uh, that are important in Iowa football that says that Iowa's going to win here. Yeah, Kentucky's, you know, they struggled kicking the ball. They also had a punter, you know, they're down to a backup punter. Um, they struggled in special teams. And Iowa's obviously elite in that category, elite at causing havoc. And I think that's the difference. I think that they ca- cause uh, an extra turnover to probably score on defense. That's probably how the Iowa scores. And then special teams, they're going to pin Kentucky deep with their punting. They're going to play conservative. That's I mean, if you're going to bet an under in the game – it's not like Kirk Ferentz is going to play aggressive because it's a bowl. He's going to play how he plays, um, and especially with his personnel. So, uh, yeah, and then Kentucky struggled to punt the ball, so Iowa have better field position. And not for them to go to score, for them to then flip the field back and pin Kentucky deep and maybe get a safety. So, yeah, this one won't be your prettiest game of the weekend, but I think Iowa gets it done. I like the money line. All right, we're going to save the college football semifinals for last. So let's go to Monday. It's going to be weird. Like New Year's Day, there's no bowl games because there's NFL. But on Monday, it's great. But then we get the, you know, the New Year's Day on on a Monday, basically on January 2nd. So we'll kick things off at noon Eastern on ESPN2 in the ReliaQuest Bowl between Mississippi State and Illinois. This game flipping around a pick. Illinois minus one, Mississippi State minus one, over under 46 the ReliaQuest Bowl. How do you characterize it? It's hard. I suppose if your roots are southern, you can call it three whoopies and a hot damn. This is games that played in Tampa, Florida. So there was a lot of back. The reason why this line has moved around is originally Mississippi State, two of their better defensive backs, Jackie Matthews and Emmanuel Forbes, they opted out for the NFL draft. But then now they came back and said, we're going to play. Their safety, Colin Duncan, is still opting out as of now. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that one of their best receivers, Robert Thomas, or one of their best running backs, Dylan Johnson, hit the transfer portal. But on the Illinois side, so then it was like, okay, so I played Illinois originally. And I said, okay, Illinois is going to be able to run on this team. It's Mississippi State's weakness on defense. And Illinois' secondary is elite 
And that's all Mississippi State does is throw the ball. Illinois can match up here. Then comes the Illinois opt-out news. You have Illinois' defensive backs, two of their best, Devin Witherspoon and Sidney Brown. They opted out. And then it comes out Chase Brown, their elite running back, opted out. So now I have concerns, okay, will Illinois actually be able to take advantage of this Mississippi State run defense? And can Illinois stop Will Rogers and this air raid attack from uh, carving them up without two of their best players? So I bought back on Illinois. And you also throw in just where is Mississippi State mentally, right? With everything that happened with Mike Leach, RIP the GOAT, you know, we were they could be super motivated here. They also could have been super distracted leading up to the game, which would be completely understandable. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good sign that like a couple of the guys that were originally going to opt out for the NFL draft are deciding to play. Probably signals some motivation here, but you know, I, this one's tough for me to get a get a handle of uh, with that wild card of where is Mississippi State mentally and how did everything that went on impact their preparation. What do you see here between Illinois and Mississippi State? Yeah, I mean, from an X's and O's and analytics perspective, it's a really tough assignment for Mississippi State Air Raid scheme to go against an Illinois um, an Illinois team that was second in coverage and best in the nation in defensive finishing drives. But there are huge missing pieces here on both sides. Wide receiver Ra Ra Thomas, most explosive target for the Bulldogs. Uh, their wideout, he finished 1.99 yards per route run. He will not be available. Look for him uh, – on Georgia next year, but then on the other side of the ball, Devin Witherspoon and Sidney Brown have opted out. And, you know, Tavion Nicholson dealt with injury, and those are all in the Illinois secondary. Specifically, Devin Witherspoon is a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, I, yeah. he's going to just harass the NFL like no tomorrow. Those three combine for an astounding 41 forced incompletions. Now, you don't have those guys available. That makes the air raid offense a little bit more potent. Uh, but at the same time, we know this about – Rest in peace, Mike Leach. The air raid does not come out of the gate after a bunch of time off and is just on in sync, right? So you yeah, have we kind to- of saw that with Houston too. Another another yeah. team that that was a brutal beat, by the way. Yeah, thank you. That boy, that UTSA, that Louisiana UTSA. God, I had six and a half. All right, so Illinois loses Chase Brown, three hundred twenty nine rushing attempts, ten TDs, and then what's left? Reggie Love. He had a season high eleven rushing attempts to close the season against Northwestern. Uh, he's been with Illinois for three years. So he knows the system. He's just not Chase Brown. And this will be the Tommy DeVito show. I mean, Mississippi State does not generate a pass rush, but they finished top 20 in coverage ranks and 14th against explosives. So I don't expect Illinois to get downfield. DeVito is going to be able to dink and dunk and get some yards here. Um, I project the game as a pick. A slight tick to Mississippi State with these crucial pieces missing in the Illinois secondary. A poor coverage grading from the Illinois linebackers. Uh, to me, this is advantage Mississippi State all the way. But, you know, and especially with Will Rogers, he had 17 attempts over 20 yards on the entire season and, and like 191 elsewhere within zero to 10 yards within the hash marks. I mean, he is going straight over center. Uh, so to me, knowing what the Mississippi State offensive plan of attack is, knowing the ineptitude of the Illinois offense without Chase Brown. It's a first half under for me all the way. Maybe the air raid wakes up in the second half, but this is a Mississippi State full game bet and a first half under bet. Yeah, don't mind the first half under at all. Maybe that's where I'll look. I'm I'm way too conflicted on the side, um, which is why I bought out. 
it won't be invested there. But I, yeah, I kind of like that first half under with the rust factor for Mississippi State as well. And no Chase Brown is big for Illinois um, with his explosive running ability, which is the weakness of that Mississippi State defense. And, you know, you're getting Forbes and Matthews in that secondary, which has been great all year. All right, let's move on to the second kickoff on Monday, January 2nd. Let's go to the Goodyear Cotton Bowl between Tulane and USC. The Cotton Bowl Classic. The To the victor's valiant, hail to the conquering heroes. USC is a two-point favorite here, over under 62. This game's at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN in Arlington, Texas. Uh, USC News, Jordan Addison won't play. Two of their best offensive linemen, Andrew Voorhees in their center, Brett Nealon won't play. Doubt any, I think Tulane, everyone should play. Um, when I look at this game, it's all Tulane for me. I had Tulane circled coming into bowl season. And look, we we still don't know for sure on, right? We, we haven't got any word on Caleb Williams for sure, right? La- well, I, last night I read that he's 100%. He, he confirmed himself last night. Yeah, no, he's going to play. We, yeah, he's uh, from As of now, he's going to play. He had a hamstring injury. Apparently he's healthy. Um that always could change. They could just say, look, we're not we're going to let you play. But I'm assuming that he does play. I played Tulane here. If 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 Caleb Williams was out, I would have this would have been an absolute hammer. I still like it. I when I look at this game, number one, motivation is major for USC. It was one game away from being in the college ball playoff. Now you're playing Tulane um, in a bowl game. This is obviously an enormous game for Tulane, a covering machine this year. And what can Tulane do? Their secondary is elite. They can match up with this USC passing attack. And the USC offensive line, by the way, good all year. Depth was always a question. Now you're missing two of your best in that interior, which might impact the run game, which is how USC will be able to attack Tulane here. But you know who will be able to attack in the run game? It's Tulane against this USC impoverished run defense, which is bottom 10 in EPA per rush and rush success rate. That spells trouble against Tajay Spears, who will be fresh now. And since he got fully healthy midway through the season, he his past seven games, at least 125 yards in all seven, 134 carries for 1,194 yards, nine touchdowns. That's 8.9 yards per carry over his last seven games, going up against one of the worst run defenses in the country. I think he's going to run wild. Oh, by the way, there's still massive turnover regression that still looms for USC. Big motivational edge, Tulane. I think Tulane wins this game outright. I there's not a ton of value in the number. I mean, I, but this is motivational play, matchup play, roll wave back to Tulane one final time this year. Please tell me you don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree with you that Tulane is going to put a whole bunch of points up on the board. I don't disagree with you that it's just going to be a laser show of points. I think that's where my handicap is. I, I'm actually going to play both sides. I am not going to take a side because, you know, the the line was just absolutely crazy, right? USC, the favorite, all comes all the way down because we think Caleb Williams and company are all going to opt out. Then it stops, ticks back up a little bit. I think Tulane was the favorite at one point in this game. 
I'm going to stay away from all these pregame numbers. I might play it live. And the reason is because these rush defenses are horrific. USC, 125th in defensive rushing success rate. You go over to Tulane side, they're outside the top 100 in line yards. They're 110th in stuff rate. So the name of the game is Spears and Austin Jones for USC. They are going to dominate. Now, I think Tulane is going to be able to get points up on the board fast, ultra quick. Willie Fritz is going to design something that the USC defense is not prepared for. And oh, by the way, USC is 122nd in defensive finishing drives. Get the ball to the 40-yard line. You're going to get six points, and Tulane's going to do that a lot. I actually love the first half over in this game for the fact that these defenses are not going to be able to interpret what they're seeing. The playmakers that are on the other side of the ball completely trump them in execution. Uh, I'm having a hard time seeing stops in this game. You look at USC's third down defense, 112th. Uh, you know, Tulane isn't much better at 76th, but really it's the ground game. Everything. The, the, the special teams are bad. The ground defense is bad. The third down defense is bad. Um, so to me, this is an over, I think right out of the gate, there's, there's going to be a ton of touchdowns. So I'm looking at first half over 30 and a half, first quarter on the over. Uh, I don't think the points are going to stop. I think if one team gets down two possessions, you fire on the other side as long as it's not past the third quarter because I don't think you're safe with a two- or three-possession lead in this game at any point. And really, if Tulane wants to get up by 10 or more points, you don't think USC and Caleb Williams is going to start pulling some of you know the rabbit out of the hat uh, and start going up-tempo, uh, which we've seen them do before. So I just think there's going to be an abundance of points. The entry for this game is going to be on the first half over. Uh, and then I'm going to play both sides of this live because I don't think any lead is safe. Yeah, I don't mind the over. And look, Tulane has also struggled with mobile quarterbacks, but we'll see if that, you know, that Caleb Williams hamstring goes at any point. That could yeah. be a major uh, development, but this is all Tulane for me. Roll Wave, one of my favorite bets, of, if not my favorite bet of the weekend. Let's go Greenway. Treated me well all year. Let's do it one more time. All right, let's move on to... Let's stay at the same time slot. Also at 1 p.m. Eastern on January 2nd, we have Purdue taking on LSU in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. LSU is a 14.5-point favorite over under 56. The Citrus Bowl. Hello again, everybody. I'm Keith Jackson. This is one of those games that echo forever. This is a game that reaches across generations that emphasizes the passion of partisanship. This is a game where players make the big play. This game is at 1 p.m. Eastern ABC in Orlando, Florida. Purdue opt-outs, their major quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, their star wide receiver, Charlie Jones, their reliable tight end target, Payne Durham, their best offensive lineman and guard, Spencer Holstage, defensive side, their best cornerback and Corey Trice, linebacker and defensive leader, Jalen Graham, a couple defensive linemen, uh, starters in Branson Dean and Lawrence Johnson. Also, Jeff Brom took the head coaching position at Louisville. I think he matters, especially from a game planning perspective. His brother, offensive coordinator Brian Brom, will coach the bowl game. LSU opt-outs, cornerback Jay Ward is a starter. Wide receiver Jeray Jenkins, he's like their third best receiver. And then the defensive line, Ojalore, Gay, and Roy, all out. So they only have one remaining starter in the defensive line in Makai Wingo. You're going to get Austin Burton here at starting quarterback. He did start against FAU. It's FAU. The game was close. It was meh. Aiden O'Connell is just so important. And then you know, you're missing also Charlie Jones, one of the best receivers in the country this year. 
Defensively, Purdue's going to have to rely on a lot of freshmen in the front seven, some inexperienced secondary. They're missing their top two targets, their best offensive lineman, and their star quarterback. That's bad news here. This could look like that Purdue game against Auburn when they were just outclassed athletically and got blown out of the building. I think it was in the same – I think it was in the – I think that was the Music City Bowl. I think that was in Nashville. Uh, I, I laid it with LSU, assuming – that O'Connell was probably going to sit. I still would. If you can get 14 or better, I would lay it with LSU. It gets dicey at 14 and a half with back doors. Maybe you look first half, but uh, while all the wide receivers for LSU are going to play, Purdue has can't really run the ball. And their quarterback, their starting quarterback, their best tight end, their best offensive lineman, the best wide receiver are out. So, like, where, how are they attacking LSU? The talent gap in this game is massive. This is all LSU for me. I think this is just an easy, obvious blowout. What do you see? You hit the nail on the head when you said there's a massive talent gap. So we could sit here and tell you about the length of LSU's injury, opt-out, transfer portal. I mean, it is a long list of names. And when you look at guys like, you know, on the edge, B.J. Ojulari with 49 pressures and nine sacks and Ollie Gay on the other side going to the NFL. I got news for everybody. LSU has depth, a ton of depth. They came into the season with the most snaps inherited through the transfer portal of anybody last season and now i'm looking i'm literally looking at the transfer portal rankings for next year already lsu is 17th on the board but this is what's happening with lsu they've lost 10 three stars they've gained two four stars this is a uh emerging giant a sleeping giant that has woken up this lsu recruiting and transfer portal brian kelly's got it all going but back to this game when you know, flip side purdue when you lose a star player the drop off right. is significant yeah, when LSU has to replace a star player like B.J. Ojulari, they're not hurting for talent at all. Uh, everybody's long, huge, uh, and going to be able to get into the backfield. So, you know, Purdue, I don't know, six-year senior Austin Burton's going to be in a quarterback. I read that the locker room loves him. He's been working out with, uh, you know, new assistant coach Drew Brees. Everybody's chummy until, you know, the ball gets snapped. But, uh, you know, both Michael uh, Alamino and Brady Allen are expected to get snaps under center if it doesn't work out with Austin Burton. So, a little bit of musical chairs at quarterback for Purdue. That doesn't sound good. You mentioned all the top targets are gone. Uh, the, the, the ones you mentioned, Charlie Jones, Payne, Payne Durham, 231 targets on the team. Uh, the next tight end on the depth yeah. only has 11. <laughs> yeah, by the way, when Burton started against FAU, by the way, it's a horrible defense, and they won 28 to 26 at home. Charlie Jones had nine catches for 59 yards and two touchdowns. Durham had four catches. They had 13 of the 22 catches. They're both gone, and he's going to be missing one of the best offensive linemen. And he, instead of playing FAU's defense, he's playing LSU's defense. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you go to the LSU offensive side of the ball, I'm not really sure it matters if Jaden Daniels is fully healthy or not because Garrett Nussmeyer loves to throw it into any situation possible. Doesn't care if it's dangerous or not. Uh, so much Brett Favre in his arm there. But, uh, you know, both shouldn't have issues against a Purdue, Purdue defense that, that was terrible in passing downs, 87th in coverage. 103rd and allowing explosives and standard downs, which will get them into passing downs real quick. Uh, you know, Kayshawn Booty is going to return. I think Kayshawn Booty returning for LSU just shows you the mindset that is coming to this LSU team. Him sticking around for 2023, whether it's NIL money or belief in the team or belief in Brian Kelly, I think it's a huge statement that Booty is going to stay there on the team. Uh, and, you know, and Brian Kelly mentioned that Purdue was in, and this I think is a great analogy. He said, Purdue is in the exact same boat that we were in a year ago 
plenty of transition on the roster, plenty of transition with the coaches. We Now, he didn't say this. We all know what happened to LSU in the bowl last year. Kansas State ran them up a flagpole, right? And, and if Brian Kelly is making that comparison, the exact same thing is happening here. I think LSU first half is the play. There's too much athleticism, like Harold Perkins on the defensive side of the ball. I would expect LSU to empty out the benches in the second half because Brian Kelly may want film on these guys. He's still got evaluation due to force guys get into the portal, maybe get some other guys into the program. I think the second half is going to be a crapshoot of LSU leads by three scores. So I'll take an LSU first half play here. Don't mind that at all. Yeah, I think it's all Tigers here. All right, let's move on to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl on Monday, January 2nd, 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN between Penn State and Utah. Utah, two, two and a half point favorite here over under 52 and a half. This game's obviously in Pasadena, California. The Rose Bowl game. The royalty of college football is in assembly. The site for this ultimate showdown in college football is one of the famed arenas of sport the Rose Bowl. The weather is perfect. The field is fast at the Rose Bowl for tonight's ball game, where the festival of postseason play was started more than 100 years ago. Utah opt-outs, start tight end Dalton Kincaid, star cornerback Clark Phillips, Penn State, their star cornerback Joey Porter Jr., and then wide receiver Parker Washington, who was hurt, uh, is also opted out for the NFL draft. Looks like everyone else is going to go. Looks like both teams will care. Utah, obviously, in their first Rose Bowl last year, came up just short against Ohio State. Location, probably fan advantage here. Um, when I look at this game, I I bet I bet Utah, and you know, it sucks that Phillips and Kincaid aren't playing, which makes me like a little less. But when I this is what my handicap comes down to. These are two teams that struggle to defend the run. And I I trust Utah's rush offense to have much more success than Penn State's. People said Penn State's rush offense was fixed. Look, they were 100th in rush success rate this year, 85th in EPA per rush. Not a great rush offense. And these are two questionable run defenses. I'll, but I'll take the Utah rush offense that ranks fifth in opportunity rate against Penn State's 104th. That, that's the difference to me. I think Utah will have more success running the ball. I also like Whittingham in bowls. He's been very successful. I think he is slightly better coach than James Franklin. Motivation, I'm going to say equal in this game, based on what everyone is doing. It does suck to me that Kincaid and Phillips are out. I still think Utah finds a way here. Are you going to go against your Utes? I am. I am. I'm on Penn State all the way here. I actually can't wait to be wow. at the wow. I, I, you're I, against your against your 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 son again. Yeah, don't tell Kyle Whittingham. I'm going to be there to interview him there at the Rose Bowl. So hopefully he doesn't know that I've turned on the program. But uh, you know, I, I will be telling him. <laughs> it, it, send I send him think, a DM. I, <laughs> so I, I think I look at this game coming down to a different position, and I think that's quarterback. And when you look at Cam Rising, he's going up against a secondary. And yes, I know uh, Jeffrey Davis, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, not going to be there, and and Joey Porter Jr. is going to take away a lot from that team. But the entire secondary and linebackers led the nation in passes defensed. Uh, you can't get anything in the air. And Cam Rising sometimes has these games where he cannot keep himself from throwing interceptions in the end zone. And I would be, you know, Cam Rising, I'm just not sure. I think he's going to try to fit things into holes that aren't there, and the Penn State defense is going to be able to keep him from getting downfield. 
and then when you flip to the other side of the ball, we've known this for Sean Clifford forever. If you can generate a pass rush, he gets in a hurry. He doesn't see things clearly and he makes a ton of mistakes. Utah's 97th in pass rush. Uh, they do not generate pressure unless they bring extra defenders. They bring five, six, seven guys, which is what they did to Caleb Williams. Sure. But they can't generate it just off of the uh, the down three or down four lineman that they have. And that's going to open up things for Sean Clifford. Plus, he's mobile, should be fresh and healthy for this game. Um, you know, there's a massive difference also in finishing drives here. I mean, Penn State was one of the best in the nation with Mike Hirsich. Uh, Utah fell to 60th in defensive finishing drives. They allow a lot of people to score touchdowns. And, you know, there's just other things when it comes to passing downs defense where Penn State definitely has the advantage here. It's interesting you mentioned the rush. To, just to go back and visit the rush real quick. Penn State has this really interesting uh, dynamic. We've seen it with a couple of teams in the past where they're second in the nation in defensive stuff rate, which means they can meet you at the line of scrimmage. They're also 82nd allowing rush explosiveness. So if they do not meet at the line of scrimmage, Utah can bust long runs. I do trust the Penn State defense in third downs. I do trust them in red zone. But to me, this comes down to quarterback execution. Cam Rising has a much tougher task versus Sean Clifford, who won't have any pressure, and that's when he does his best. So I'm on Penn State all the way here. Yeah, I just don't – I think Utah is going to be able to bully Penn State uh, in the trenches. I do. I think they're going to be able to establish the run here. Penn State can't run the ball. I don't – people have been saying all year that they can. Um, it is – and that's how you attack Utah on the ground. Penn State 104th in opportunity rate, 101st in power success rate. This team and, and look, you go to Utah's line yards, top five across the board, top five opportunity rate. I think they're going to be able to establish the ground game. That's what I want in a team in a bowl. And I'll take the better coach. And I think Utah gets it done. Now, if Kincaid and Phillips are playing, I would love it, but I still like it. But we can battle in the final. Well, the second final game, it's the, we saw the national championship. But in order to get to the national championship, we first have to play the college football playoff semifinals. So let's go back to Saturday and let's finally, what has it been, a month? This is why I want expansions. So we don't, I, I forget who's playing in the College Bowl Plow. Let's start with the Fiesta Bowl, Saturday, New Year's Eve, December 31st, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, Glendale, Arizona, TCU, Michigan, Wolverines, seven and a half point favorite here, over under 58 and a half. The Fiesta Bowl. The Michigan football team is within sight of the summit of their mountain. Their journey inspiration in part from those who have climbed the world's highest mountain. Fear the frog. I got my purple on. Uh, I love TCU here. Do you want me to make my case first? Yeah, make your yeah, case? You, I, I've been waiting to hear this. Go ahead. The first thing is I make this line around five, five and a half. And I was anti-TCU for a lot of the year. I think the Michigan win over Ohio State, which I went back and watched two times is creating value in potentially both games. We'll get to the second game late. But, you know, Michigan broke a couple of runs late. Other than that, they couldn't run the ball all game. And then there was two busted coverages. Basically, they had two, 350 yards on five plays. And, you know, Ohio State missed a, a fake punt for a touchdown when the guy, there was miscommunication. That game was a lot closer than it appeared. Michigan wasn't as impressive as I thought. But if you look at the whole body of work for TCU, much more impressive than Michigan. Strength of record, strength of schedule. This team was tested week in and week out all year. Whereas Michigan, what do you have two or three tough games the entire season? And one of the biggest things that I, why I was fading TCU down the stretch is this team didn't get a break. 
This team was uh, no buys, nine straight ridiculous opponents. Michigan gets a buy every other week. They played Little Sisters of the Poor, the non-conference. Nobody in the country, any bowl team, is going to benefit from a long break more than TCU. Talk about Max Duggan injuries, injuries across the board, just general fatigue. Fast track, by the way, I think favors TCU. I think TCU has better coordinators. I think Duggan will be unleashed with his running ability here. But when you look at this from a matchup point of view, TCU, I, I go back to the Texas game. I mean, so this will be the best, the best corners Michigan has faced all year. That was the weakness of Ohio State, still is their corners on the outside. We'll get to that game next. But these are the best corners besides Illinois. And Illinois shut down Michigan and should have won that game if they called the offensive pass interference. And we probably wouldn't be talking about Michigan now because they would have lost to Illinois. But you know, these the corners, Hodges Tomlinson and Newton are fantastic on the outside. They can man up Michigan. And then what? what is TCU going to have to do? They're going to have to load the box. They're going to have to come with run blitzes and stunts. They're going to have to treat this Michigan offense just like they did B. John Robinson. And they're going to have to say to J.J. McCarthy, beat us deep, just like they did Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers couldn't do it. We'll see if McCarthy can against the best corners he will face all year. And if you – you know, there was a couple busted plays against Ohio State. But for the most part, McCarthy was very inconsistent all year. These receivers haven't been able to get separation. He hasn't been able to hit them deep consistently. And I think this TCU offense on this fast track can hit enough explosive plays. I think Duggan gets unleashed here running the ball. And who? what mobile quarterback did Michigan face this year? One, uh, Sean Clifford, who ran, I think, for 80 yards on seven carries and had a 60-yard touchdown. I think Duggan will have success there. And I think the CCU team is undervalued. I also just love these coordinators and give them a month to prepare. No one's given them a shot. I love the Horn Frogs. I think they went out right. Whew. Yeah, I disagree. Listen, Sonny Dykes, to run the air raid, uh, you know, to run the air raid, you have to have deep vertical shots with your wide receivers. And if you have a light box, you run the ball. And that's been the bread and butter all year. Max Duggan will take off if there's a light box. Then he's got Quentin Johnson and Tay Barber, two of the most explosive targets in all of college football, lining up a wide out and slot. And, you know, Kendra Miller and Amari DiMarcardo, along with Duggan, running the ball. I mean, they've had 70 runs that go over 10 yards. Lots of first downs here. Uh, the mistakes are missing from Duggan this season. 38 fumbles. And interceptions entering in his career, entering into this season, he's had just six total this year. So, I mean, it's really been impressive. I'm not going to downsize what TCU has been able to do, but this team is not consistent in putting together extended drives whatsoever. They're 51st in standard down success rate. They're 53rd in passing down success rate. They don't get as many first downs. I believe they're 41st in the nation in first downs per game. So they have to rely on explosive plays to get points up on the board. They don't want to get into the red zone. TCU's 80th in red zone efficiency, meaning explosive plays are the avenue to TCU scoring points. So let's flip over to the Michigan defense. 16th in defensive expected points against the rush and the pass. That's great. Michigan is third nationally in allowing opponent long runs. And I think what that tells me is the defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, is going to disguise the number of players he has in the tackle box. He's going to use aggressive blitz. He's going to go one-on-one -on -one man coverage. He's going to flip to zone. He's going to play quarters. He's going to change up everything he's doing on each down. And that's going to be an attempt to confuse Max Duggan into running the ball when there's actually more people in the box or passing the ball 
like flashing one single high safety versus two in a shell. Like I, I, I just think, you know, defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter is, has just put together masterpieces and he can change on the fly. And I think that's a huge difference here in kind of stopping this TCU offense, but really Michigan's ability to stop the explosive play is kind of what settled it for me. Go to the other side of the ball stuck. I mean, TCU runs the three, three, five stack. Joseph Gillespie likes to mix in stunts, slants, uh, but you're doing this against what I think is the best offensive line in college football. All five of these guys have the capability of pulling uh, <laughs> in any kind of formation uh, and really running reverse and counters and confusing defenses. And TCU has been hurt by offenses that use motion and reverse and counter plays. That That is a, it's not a good formula for the TCU defense because they've been burned by these kinds of offensive lines that are really good in misdirection. And the pace of how often Michigan scores completely depends on if the TCU safeties are going to move in and try to help against Donovan Edwards or whether JJ McCarthy and George McCarthy is going to keep it on the ground or if they are going to stay back and allow JJ McCarthy to hit crossers across the middle against a lighter box. So the Michigan pace of scoring is going to be determined by what the defense does, if they're playing close or if they're playing back. But, you know, considering these teams are the same strength of schedule, same strength of record, Michigan is the better team, third downs, success rate, special teams. But more importantly, TCU can only score on teams that allow explosive plays, and Michigan just doesn't do it. So I'm all in on Michigan here. I grabbed the seven, bought it to minus 120. Uh, I would only play it at that. This is a game I do make it six and a half. But um, listen, TCU has been fun all year. They've relied on the explosive play way too much. And when you are betting on teams that rely on the explosive play, you're essentially sitting at the crafts table and throwing a couple numbers down and hoping that it hits. I mean, it is not a sustainable model. And I'm not trying to play all like I bet on TC the entire season. Now I'm jumping off. I'm just saying I've seen this team as much as anybody. And, you know, Michigan stops the explosive play and that takes away TCU's biggest weapon. I actually think TCU, like, look, and I think Duggan's running ability now that he's healthy is going to be huge. And that was the key against, uh, I think Kansas State, they how they almost won that game, and he ran for 150 yards. I think he'll be unleashed there. And and by the way, strength of schedule is not even close. I mean, Michigan's, I think, 60th in the country. TCU is top 15. Michigan's defensive metrics better be elite. They played nobody all year. I mean, this is a team that played Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Iowa, might be the worst offense they faced, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Nebraska with Chubba Purdy, Illinois, Purdue put up 500 yards. I mean, if, how could Purdue put up 500 yards against them? Ohio State was a good win. Maryland put up 27 and 400 yards. And then, you know, Penn State, they dominated. I mean, this is a team that had 10 cakewalks, basically, from an offensive standpoint of who they faced. And we're, I, I will make – I think Michigan's going to have success running the ball, of course. But I also think that TCU is going to have a really good game plan and sell out against it, just like they did against Texas. They held B. John Robinson and a really good Texas offensive line to what? B. John Robinson, 30 yards? And I'll take B. John Robinson over Donovan Edwards any day of the week. And, you know, just don't have Blake Corm here. And if you look at J.J. McCarthy, look, if he comes out and slings and hits explosive passes against TCU, if they're going to make him do that, fine. I will say, great. Uh, congrats. He deserved the win. But this is a guy, a guy that was very inconsistent all year. Against Nebraska, he was 8 of 17 for 120 yards. People forget this. Rutgers, 13 of 28, 150 yards. Very inconsistent all year. Receivers struggled to get separation. And these will be the best corners 
they face. So you can man up on the outside, sell up against the run, and say McCarthy beat me. That was the exact game plan against Texas and Quinn Ewers, who couldn't beat, beat them deep, who couldn't he- hit the deep pass. I think that's the game plan here. And I think TCU on offense, they have enough talent here with their NFL receivers, one of the most underrated backs in the country, and a mobile quarterback. I love the coordinators. I love the prep. No one's giving TCU a chance here. I think they are much more battle-tested than Michigan. I'm buying TCU. I can't wait for this game. Have you ever thought uh, for one minute that Michigan was playing possum all year? I mean, I keep going back to how they refused to pass against Illinois, and then they showed up next week and just blew Ohio State out of the water with deep explosive plays of Cornelius Johnson. Have you ever thought that maybe they've been playing possum the entire year? Well, I mean, but, but against Purdue, yeah, a game they probably had a win. I mean, that game was in jeopardy till the end, and um, they go 500 yards, but – uh, yeah, but I mean, but McCarthy, when he went to, when he tried to throw, he couldn't hit receivers and they couldn't get open and there was drops. Like this is an issue for Michigan. And if you look at that Ohio state game, it was five plays. There was two broken runs when, when Ohio state was co- playing cover zero and there was an 80 yard and 80 yard t- touchdown run. That was, that was it before then Michigan averaged three yards per, per play. And then there was two broken coverages. One there was a busted coverage and the other, there was a missed tackle that went deep. And that was that was it. I mean, you take away that Michigan averaged, I think, three point one yards per play. If you take away those five plays, so I don't know. I'm going to make McCarthy prove it to me. If they were playing possum and then just come out here and dominate, um, but there's there's been cracks in Michigan at times. You go back to that Illinois game. You go back to that Maryland game, and then there's just eight or nine games where they were playing nobodies. I know what I'm going to get from TCU. The defense isn't going to be elite. It's going to be great, but they're going to have great game plans. And this is a team that was battle-tested basically for 10 weeks in a row. And I think this break is massive for them. Like, they just to heal, like, for – and then also just take a breath. They were – they. this was a team – that's why I was – we were fading them down the stretch, right? There was nine weeks in a row. This team was playing ranked team, ranked team, ranked team, ranked team without a break. I mean, Michigan gets to play – you know, you get breaks all the time. You get to play Rutgers and, you know, Nebraska's backups and Indiana. So, like, the, I think TCU is going to benefit so much from this break, and I really respect – I think they're the best coordinators combined, offensive and defensive, in college football. And I think that is what's going to pay off with the month break. So, I'll gladly take anything over seven. And uh, I think TCU wins outright. We'll have to have a side bet on this one. Well, we'll be in. Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll be in Vegas. Uh, you and I are going to share a night in Vegas uh, before the national title game. I think the other one picks up dinner. We'll make okay. the line officially seven and a half. I'll give you seven and a half. All right, fair enough. All right, before we continue, as a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 
D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, uh, let's move on to the second semifinal game. Let's go to the Peach Bowl Saturday night, Ohio State, Georgia. Georgia's six and a half point favorite here over under 62. This game will be played New Year's Eve, 8 p.m. Eastern ESPN, Atlanta, Georgia. The Peach Bowl. Those are the Ohio State Buckeyes knocking on the front door. And they come in with a world of incentive as they pondered their plight and their way through the season. And so far, so good. And right now, the Bucks believe they can play with anybody. Well, we are about to find out. It's be the third game that Georgia gets to play in this stadium. They played Oregon to open the season. And then, of course, the SEC Championship. And now the college football playoffs semifinal. I'll let you go first in this. I don't know if we're going to just – I don't even know what you like in this game. Make your case for your favorite bet or what you see just from a matchup perspective in this game. So Ryan Day has heard for a month that he's conservative. He can't coach in the big game. Uh, he's heard about how bad he coached in the Michigan game. And the offensive play calling here should be ultra aggressive. I know he came out against that Notre Dame team in week one and said, we need to be more blue collar. We need to run the ball. We need to show we can run the ball. Well, I mean, you're you're completely depleted in the running back room. You're down to Mayan Williams. We don't know if he's exactly healthy or not. So, And plus, when you're going to face a Georgia defense, not just this year, but any year, you cannot beat them in a phone booth. They want to punch you in the face and grind you down. The best way to beat Georgia, Tennessee tried to do it. You have to spread it out as far wide as possible, and you have to try to you know get them all out in space. Tennessee, I keep going back to that game. I mean, field conditions, the rain, like they had a chance, they had a drive to cover the spread at the end there. And you have to think after a couple of mistakes, you know, I remember we went back and we said this, like they got behind the Georgia defense three times, three times they had drops or just miscues. Like it was there for Tennessee to not just cover that game, but possibly win. So you got to think Ohio State can't run the ball. We don't know how healthy Mayan Williams is. The offensive line may, may be able to, but why would you run into the teeth of this defense on the defensive line? Everything to me points to CJ Stroud throwing to his favorite zone on the field, which is beyond 20 yards and within the hash marks. Uh, that is where CJ Stroud has just been able to cook this season. Uh, passes over 20 plus yards this year, 21 big time throws, five turnover worthy plays. And like I said, the, his best zone is the deep one in the middle. Both defenses run heavy zone coverage concepts. They run man about just 30, 30% of the time. And the best wide receivers in this game, Marvin Harrison, three yards per route run, Mecca Igbuka, even three and a half yards per route run when they face zone coverage. Uh, and, and you know, I think the one name that we haven't mentioned a lot because he's had intermittent playing time is Jaden Ballard. Uh, he's had limited action this season, but he has the burners to get behind any defense here. The only way that I think Ohio State is going to have success getting points up on the board is to be 
completely aggressive from the very first snap and letting CJ Stroud go deep. Now the book out on CJ Stroud, and we've talked about it all year. He has been horrific with pressure in his face. Uh, I mean, 64 pressure dropbacks. He's had three big time throws and seven turnover worthy plays. He takes a 30% drop and adjust a completion percentage when he does have pressure on him. So the question is, is will Georgia continue to run just a three, four man front and try to get pressure with that and send everybody else back, which is what they've done. I mean, you're going to see Georgia doesn't have any kind of pass rush whatsoever. That's by design. They don't like to send a lot of guys. They would rather sit back, play quarters coverage, you know, kind of confuse the quarterback after, you know, after the snap. And then they kind of show if they're playing man or zone after that. Uh, but the only way Ohio State is scoring points here is if they get aggressive and they go downfield. And considering Ryan Day has to hear this every single day for six weeks, I think that's exactly what we're going to see. And there's been success. Tennessee can do it. Ohio State can do it. Now you go to the other side of the ball with Georgia. There's so many offensive advantages here against Ohio State has been poor at stopping the explosive play. 125th in giving up explosives and passing downs. So good job if you stop Georgia on first or second down, but then you've got a serious problem about what you give up on the back end. And it doesn't help playing cover zero against Michigan and not having anybody there at the second level. Maybe that'll change. Maybe maybe Jim Knowles will keep two safeties back. But then again, you're allowing Stetson Bennett and the tight ends and 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 you're allowing everybody to work at the line of scrimmage, which Georgia can win there too. Uh, you know, Ohio State's 121st in defensive red zone efficiency. I didn't know it was that bad. I had no clue they were bottom 10 in red zone efficiency on defense. So looking at all this, Georgia will have no resistance with whatever they decide to do. It doesn't look like Georgia's going to send pressure because they never do, which allows CJ Stroud to throw to his favorite spot, which is behind the defense. Uh, I see points galore here. I would play it up to the key number of 65. I think what 62 and a half, 63 in the market. I love the over here. Yeah, I don't disagree on the over. I actually like Ohio State after digging into it. Um, I think, again, that Michigan-Ohio State game is creating value in this number, which I think should be close to the three and a half or four. Agree. And, like, so when I look at this from a matchup point of view, and by the way, Ohio State was dealing with injuries on the defensive side of the ball all year. So I think this month, and when they play Michigan, look, Cam Brown, their corner went out in the first half. They were down to, like, their fourth string running back. And... Like I said, it was like four or five explosive plays, which matter. And they've been bad at defending them. But I think that they, on the defensive side of the ball, I think what Knowles does and how he's aggressive and how he dictates with his stunts and his pre-snap movement, not letting Georgia dictate, which is what they do. I mean, Georgia, they use their tight ends brilliantly. Brock Bowers and Washington, I mean, they can they can block. They You can throw them the ball. Bowers can take the ball to the end around and out. And he's huge and you can still outrun everybody they're amazing i mean they run 12 personnel the third highest rate in the country but i, I think what what ohio state's going to do here is they're going to put hickman and ransom on both of the tight ends basically man to man and they're going to have mcallister played free safety that's what they did against notre dame when they held michael meyer and the other tight end in check to both of these guys are very physical elite in coverage they're, they are the strength of Ohio State secondary. They are still weak on the outside at corner. You know, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, but that's not really the strength of Georgia's team is their outside receivers. So I think it's, look, and Ohio State run defense, two broken runs late against Michigan when they were selling out, has been outstanding all season long. They also can they can really generate pressure uh, with JTT and Cuppin and Harrison. 
off the edge. Their run defense has been good all year. I think their run defense will hang here. And their, their red zone D has been bad. Georgia's red zone, oh, that's been the biggest question. But I think they can actually match up with the tight ends. Scheme-wise, I think they can cause some trouble for Georgia. And this will be the best. Ohio State has issues on defense, but this is the best defense that Georgia's faced all year. If you look, I mean, like Kentucky, pretty similar. I mean, I'm talking talent-wise for Ohio State. And I think that the month off can really help Ohio State's defense because it's a first-time coordinator. So Noel's getting all this time off plus an extra week. I think can really benefit Ohio State here because he, he basically was in, installing a system as a first-year defensive coordinator. So I think that side of the ball will have the biggest benefit from the time off. On the other side, you mentioned it. I think that how you attack this Georgia team is you have to hit deep shots on the outside, which Ohio State is certainly capable of doing. Then you have to, you know, you open up that defense, you make them go to high safeties, and then you attack over the middle of the field, which is where Stroud has excelled all year long. So I think Ohio State will be able to have success here on offense, enough on defense to keep this close. Georgia's going to get their points. That's in Bennett's been awesome this year. But I think it's actually a decent match for us. And I also think Georgia, and I think this is true for Michigan and Georgia. I think both of these teams would rather play these, these games outdoors in, in, in winter weather. I think the fast track benefits TCU and Ohio State in both of these matchups. And so I think the Ohio State speed, just like the TCU speed, can have some success here. I think this line's too high. I'm waiting for seven. I would even buy maybe seven, one minus 115, maybe a little more if it never pops. We'll see. I think the whole world's going to be on Georgia. I think that we'll eventually get a seven, and I'm buying Ohio State there. My hot take on both of these college football play. And by the way, you have two good kickers in this game, but maybe the familiarity for Georgia's kicker is the difference. I'm going to say, I'm going to say both. We, we've had disappointing semifinals in the past. I'm going to say both of these games are really good. Um, and I think both, I'll, I'll go on a hot take that both games are decided by a field goal. Um, well, I, I think what's but, interesting is, is when you say semifinals have been disappointing, I think the spread has played a role twice in the history of the college football playoff in the semifinals. So like if you, if you play Ohio state, of course, grab the seven, but you should play some money line. Yeah. If you like Michigan, don't tease it down to zero. If you like TCU, Play some money line. I mean, the spread yeah, has yeah. been such a non-factor in semifinals. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't mind your over. Lean that way as well. Might play some there. And from a um yeah, just from a a, a matchup perspective. And then I also think I I agree. I think Day is gonna be super aggressive, which is good here. Yep. And Ohio State can go in here playing loose. They have no pressure on them. Nothing to lose, which I think benefits them in a high-pressure game like this. Georgia's going to be ready. I think that Georgia pulls this out by a field goal. That's my prediction. But I'm happily taking the seven if it gets there. If it doesn't, I'll six and a half or if I can buy a cheap seven. But I like Ohio State here. I think the line's inflated because of what everyone saw in that Ohio State-Michigan game. Which I, I think I the final scores have been misleading. But again. I'm, I'm completely with you on Ohio State. I'll buy it at seven. Also, there's some soft shops out there that are sitting on it now. If you <laughs> want to hit your, uh, you want to hit the max limit bet there at a couple dimes. But uh, I, I just for the pure entertainment of Ohio State and Michigan meeting in the national championship game, SoFi a seat in SoFi is going to run like ten thousand dollars. I mean, it's going to be the most ridiculous. If if that's yeah. what happens, college football is going to get a treat. Yeah. All right. Uh, 
I mean, Georgia, Michigan, too, would be and the rematch. When I said, it's funny as I said that Ohio State does not want to play Georgia in a phone booth. You want to talk about two phone booth teams? We get a Michigan Georgia national championship game. Just a heavy. We got outdoors. Um, all right. Uh, before we get out of here, one final order of business. And by the way, Big Bets on Campus live Saturday morning. We will have our uh, final show of this season. Actually, we might have a national championship. I probably not. I don't know. But just regardless, we'll have a show on Saturday morning going over the college football playoff and the rest of the bowls. But let's uh, let's give out our best bets from this batch of bowls, nine bowls. Uh, I'm going to go. I mean, I can't I can't go any other way than Tulane. I have to go Tulane here. My motivation monster coming in. I think they're going to be able to run all over USC. USC missing some key offensive linemen. Turnover regression looms. Green wave cover again. Roll wave. Let's go. Best bet for you. Ooh, it's a tie between two of them, either the LSU first half or I'm going to go with Penn State. I love Penn State here. Uh, I'll take the points at two and a half. I would take a money line in the Rose Bowl. Again, I think this comes down to quarterback execution. Cam Rising missing Dalton Kincaid. He has been the cornerstone of that offense. And, you know, everything that Utah runs is in 12, 13, 14 packages where they rely on tight ends. And now they're not going to have that. And Cam Rising in these big games has been turnover prone against USC, against Florida. Uh, And then when you turn over to... You know, the Penn State side, they are they've been a lead on defense, especially in knocking passes down. They're the best in the nation. But really the key to Sean Clifford, his entire career has been if he has doesn't have pressure on him, he's able to execute. Utah does not get pressure on quarterbacks whatsoever unless they bring extra defenders. And if they bring six or seven, Sean Clifford should be able to sniff that out and get the ball off. So I, I like Penn State here in the Rose Bowl, uh, sending Utah to their second straight consecutive loss in the Rose Bowl. Going against all your children, this this yeah. podcast, TCU and Utah. <clears throat> but, yeah, we'll, we'll play for dinner in TCU, Michigan. Looking forward to some battles. We agree on some others. Let's close the bowl season strong. As I mentioned before, one final episode next week, National Championship Preview, Haiti Smith Award for Caller of the Year, Gambling Heisman. Appreciate all of you guys. We'll do some giveaways, too, so make sure you leave a five-star review. Final ones of the season always help us out. We'll do some free giveaways. Say whatever you want. State your case on if you want to go TCU or Michigan. I uh, would appreciate all you guys listening. Appreciate all the audio and video people on the back end. Thanks to Colin, as always, for joining me. It's been a hell of a year. Let's close it out strong. We will see you Saturday morning for Big Bets on Campus Live. And then next week for our final episode. Good luck on all of your wagers. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. He's out. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.